0: Welcome to A Drink with a Friend. I'm Seth Haynes.
1: And I'm Tish Oxenreiter.
0: Tish, what is it today that you are imbibing?
1: (laughs) Well, the day of this recording, it is the first day of fall officially. And I wouldn't say Central Texas exactly got the memo, but it is a few degrees cooler than it was yesterday. And so I'll take it. So um, I am drinking my foxy tea from Trader Joe's. I've talked about it before on the show. It is, I call it foxy tea just because there's a fox on the box, but it's harvest blend, I think is what it's called. And it's seasonal and it only shows up this time of year at Trader Joe's. And (laughs) I tend to just buy like a dozen boxes and drink it all year. But anyway, it's my fall tea and I don't know what's in it, but it's herbal and it tastes like fall. So And I'm there's, drinking it in my owl mug, my Hedwig mug.
0: Oh, that's good. And there's a fox on the box?
1: There's a fox on the box. Do yeah, you drink it socks. in your socks? Right. Uh, right. You got uh, it so, Seth, what are you drinking today?
0: Well, today I am in my office, which means I have access to my super swanky, <laughs> fancy French water. So, uh, I'm drinking uh, Perrier today, which that's uh, that's great, right? That's it. Yeah. It says that it is uh water captured at the source in France. Yeah, so the gonna source.
1: Say, yeah. The the mother of all good things. Paris, yeah. France, I, who knows, yeah.
0: The source. But I don't I really don't know where the source <laughs> is. Like what does that exactly mean?
1: They don't know either. That's why they can just be vague yeah it's
0: such a beautiful descriptor at the source, <laughs> right, uh, right so yeah, I mean I, right. like it makes me want to drink it more, and I'm drinking it, and it's delightful
1: there you go. I think it's just fine. I wouldn't call it like the fanciest water ever, but you know what, it works,
0: but you pronounce it with a French accent, and doesn't that just like bounce the fanciness up at mm-hmm. least a couple notches?
1: Yeah, that's why Lacroix is more expensive than h e b brand Sparky water, so yeah, but yeah.
0: sparky water, come on, man, again, yeah. Can't be so good, good. so good. So, Tish, talk to me today about what you're (laughs) thinking about.
1: Well, I'm thinking about your September fast from screens. I do likewise in July, usually, that's when I take a month off of my screen life, and uh, it's always a net positive. But I am really curious what you're learning about it because. Screen time has been a contentious topic around here, and I'll get into that in a little bit. But I'm going to hear first how you're doing with it.
0: Yeah, well, I've never done this. I've never taken a full month off. So for backstory, a friend of mine gave me digital minimalism. And the reason that she gave me digital minimalism, shout out to you, Jess, is not because she was looking at me and saying, you need, to t- you need a digital <laughs> detox, um, but because we were sort of talking about some of the same things in a, in a particular marketing conundrum. That we were having, and and as we were talking about it, we were sort of lamenting a lot of the changes uh, in marketing, a lot of the changes in storytelling, and a lot of the changes in retail that are affected by way of the phone. And some of those changes are positive; there's no doubt about it. But a lot of those changes are negative. Um, they're just it's you know it's so much more in your face. And and as we were talking about it. She had finished uh Cal Newport's book, Digital Minimalism. She had read it several times. Um, and she just said, Have you read it? And I said, No. And she said, you know, why don't you read it? And I and it was one of those things where I hadn't read it because I had spent so much time reading Tristan Harris and mm-hmm. um spending time looking at uh, you know, all these these, you know, ethical, um, you know, digital trends. Um the ethical coding trends and all this stuff. And so I felt like I kind of knew everything that was already in the book. Um, But when I read it, I was really inspired by it. And I was Mm -hmm. inspired because it it feels like Newport, he takes a pretty hard stance. I'm not saying he doesn't, Um, but he's also not going as far as, as some of the, the Silicon Valley, you know, ethicists who are saying delete it all, burn it down, never go back to it. You know, mm-hmm. his take is sort of, um, you know, take a time off completely, do a detox, um, just like you would from booze, um, and then come back to it only to the extent that it actually enhances your life or makes it more meaningful or that you need it for work or for, you know, whatever whatever it is that you do on a day-to-day basis. Right. Um, it, and I think the way he puts it is use it only as far as it enhances one of your personal values. And there's not another way to get at that value without the medium, um, which I thought was really a wise way of putting it. So mm-hmm. I embarked on the digital detox in September. So we're how many days in as a recording, 22 days in. And I can tell you, I miss it zero. Right. It's That's so bizarre. Mm-hmm. Um I do, I, you know, there are times when I miss Instagram, and I have actually helped a couple of people with some Instagram stuff. So I've been quasi on. I've probably jumped on Instagram four or five times during this detox, um, re- legitimately, just to help help others. Um, You know, whether it's through storytelling or help Amber edit a photo or whatever. But I got a DM on Twitter. I jumped on for onto Twitter to check the DM because you know the, I got the notification in my inbox. And just like 10 seconds on the home screen or however long it took to load up so I could get to my DMs, I was like, man, I don't miss this at all. Mm-hmm. Um, And I'm going to have to get on Facebook uh, for some business, for some work I'm doing uh, later this week, which sounds kind of weird, but it's true. Um, it is I'm true. Dreading yeah. it. I'm dreading it. So it's really funny just to see how taking a month off really helps me look at it and say, like, what does this add to my life? And the answer is really not a whole lot.
1: Yeah. And I think you and I are in the weird space that maybe not all the listeners are in, in that uh, we have this tension between personal life and work life, right? And it's sort of assumed that those of us who are writers and have things that we want to share with other people will primarily use the internet. And that's honestly one of the great Benefits of the internet. One of the great joys is getting to know real readers, real listeners, real people. Um, through these pixels. And so it's not all bad. And that's where it gets really tricky because I know there are some people who have completely just sworn it off, deleted all their social media accounts, and they didn't look back. You know, they lit a match and walked away in slow-mo. But where it just gets really hard is when you can also see a little glimmer of the good things. And, um, And I think listeners, even if they're not experiencing that tension of work and personal, know yeah. what we mean when we say that there is this tension between there's good and there's bad with social yeah. media and the internet in general.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think that's true. I mean we were talking right before we got on. I mean you you've had unique opportunities through social media, through connection right. on social media, writing opportunities, connection opportunities, um opportunities that we wouldn't have otherwise had. And and that's a good thing. I mean, there are some some definitely some positives to it you know i think yeah. about the egalitarian na- nature of the internet and of some of these digital platforms and um how they help people get the word out get their writing out get their art out those are all good things but it seems to me more and more and i think the research bears this out more and more what is being elevated on social media is not what's beautiful or even what's good and anybody want to fight with me about whether they're <laughs> elevating the truth? Because that ain't happening either. I mean, the, the internet yeah. is the place of vitriol and conspiracy theory. Um, it, it's it's kind of the opposite in a lot of ways of the good, true, and beautiful. I was reading some research on that uh, actually just this weekend talking about negativity bias. Um, and And there is an internal... Uh, bias in the human psyche towards the negative towards the things that are scary towards the things that are uh you know even sad or or move you in sort of a almost depressed way Mm -hmm. Uh, anything that's negative and it's this kind of negativity bias um that that is is driving the internet because it captures our attention um and it's the kind of stuff that slowly, it's like a drip IV. It slowly feeds uh, this like negative animal in you. And so is it any wonder when we're so connected to it all the time that we have things like QAnon conspiracies or vaccine conspiracies or, you know, name the conspiracy of the day that's negative that wants to tell you there's some Illuminati out there controlling the entire world. Um Well, these are only a natural outflow of people who've screwed around with our negativity bias, uh, which cuts against, again, to go back to the thing we talk about all the time, the beauty of the world, the goodness of the world, the sacramentality of the world. Anytime you're, you're constantly consuming negativity and you're feeding that, you're not consuming things that nourish you.
1: Right. And these companies want to keep us outraged. There's a reason that negativity bias works because they stand to lose if we find contentment if you know by nature outrage means there's something wrong there's something mm-hmm. that doesn't feel right and so they're tapping into our i think god-given desire for justice and Damn. they're messing with it they are yeah. <laughs> they're playing around with our souls by telling us you know that this isn't right I want to keep you hooked to the negativity so that you continue your scrolling and therefore our ad dollars. And therefore, by nature of what this is, it is actually affecting our entire communities, our entire social structure, and our mental health. And, you know, those of us that are parents, we see how it's affecting our kids. And I think maybe we can get into that later in a future conversation. But, you know, that's where this gets really hard for me to reconcile with, but I want to share the news about my book that I think genuinely is true, good, and beautiful <laughs> because yeah, it is. Yeah. And yet what's the price to pay, you know? Yeah. Um. So there is a person I follow on YouTube who does something similar to what you're doing now. He takes a month of August off of YouTube and you know, his phone and his laptop, but he goes really extreme as in like he gives his laptop and his phone to a friend, he asks them to change the passwords, he says, don't give this to me until September first And he just goes, radio silent so that he's not even tempted. Cause, and he says this, it's not because I'm a good, I'm a good person. He says it's because I'm kind of pathetic and I know myself. Mm-hmm. And the thing he talked about when he came back is he's done this, I think like three years now or something. He is officially switching to what he's calling a dumb phone and it's not a flip phone. It's, you know, there's new formats available that have the benefits of the smartphone kind of screen, but without the connection to the internet and all the other things that go with that. Um, the way he is framing it, and I, this keeps rattling around in my brain, is, yes, it's less convenient. He's like, there's no doubt about it. This phone is not as impressive as an iPhone. Uh, iPhones are computers we keep in our pockets that are more powerful than what originally put the man on the moon. So right. it's hard to, to be more impressive than that. But he said, so the goal here is not to become even better technologically. The point is to become more beautiful. And Mm -hmm. so he says to any answer or to any pushback he's getting in his own mind or to someone who's listening and saying, well, I'd love to do this, but, but, but is he's like, I know it is more inconvenient, but what inconvenience am I willing to trade for a more beautiful life? Yeah. And so for him, it's worth the inconvenience. And he says, like, he was being honest. This is the first week of September. He's like, right now it sucks. Like, mm-hmm. I I am, you know, it's more challenging to do all these other things, but um, he's willing to deal with that. So that's what I keep reflecting on. Um, and what I'm reflecting on as we're talking is like, what am I willing to put up with? For a more beautiful life? Am I willing to put up with fewer book sales? Am I willing to put up with maybe not as big a name for myself in order to have a more beautiful life? And I'm not necessarily saying anyone who's famous who's chosen another route doesn't have a beautiful life. But for me personally, what does that look like? And for you and for our listeners?
0: Yeah. Yeah. There's a book that I'm reading right now. It's called The Storm Is Upon Us by Mike mm-hmm. Rothschild. Have you heard of this book? Mm-mm,
1: not at all. It's a no. book
0: about uh QAnon. Okay. I'm actually listening to it on Audible on my smartphone. That is one of the one of the things that I uh said in this digital detox was like instead of letting uh youtube scroll, you know, or go endlessly in the background. If I want to take something in, it's going to be a longer format. It's going to be something that's not quick hit. So I've been listening to a lot of a lot more audiobooks, uh particularly on my drive into work. And 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 this one this one's really fascinating because um at the end of the book, you know, he's he's talking about these QAnon conspiracies, one of which to your point about justice, uh, you know, we kind of revving up our our justice bones um you know the, one of the big conspiracies is that all of these uh you know liberal marxist whatever's um are are pedophiles are drinking the blood of babies uh it's mm. this whole adrenal chrome thing they're like pulling um, you know the blood from babies and drinking it to get like superpowers or something right mm-hmm. so anyway it 's it 's really crazy stuff, but one of the things he says throughout the book and that he indicates throughout the book is if you just like stay on that steady, slow drip of information that kind of came in, like if you got in on it in the beginning and then you just followed each breadcrumb and just kept following before long you 're all the way down this path of oh yeah there 's a pedophile network that drinks baby 's blood right. Um, and it seems completely sane and rational to you because you've you've gone down this this slow process of just continuing to be more and more plugged into um, this digital network. Well, one of the things he says that's really fascinating is that uh, when the people have sort of come out um, of of these conspiracy theory uh, sort of cults, uh, this QAnon type, type stuff, they they actually disconnect from the platform altogether. Like the way to get mm. them out is even to begin to ask them like, Hey, let's meet at a coffee shop and have conversations face to face one-on-one, mm-hmm. no phones um, in digital free spaces. Let's begin to interact in digital free spaces. And when these people have made the commitment to sort of come out from underneath this way of thinking, most of the time there's been a, a break of some sort with the technology that got them in. So whether that's Twitter whether that's you know some message board uh, or whatever. There's been a break with that technology. And I started to think about how uh, important that is. You know, even, and again, let's, let's move this out of conspiracy theory world, right? Like even for us, we can begin to think that it's really important that we are on Twitter so that we get the latest breaking news and everyone's comments on it. As yeah. writers and thinkers, we can begin to think it's really important that we be on Twitter to get the news and then to comment on it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just lickety split, like like throw out my initial thought on it. The, no, there's not a lot of thought in the, in that on a lot of times. There's, you know, when an article releases and within 10 minutes everyone's commenting on it, yeah. have we really spent the time to really think about it? And so we can get addicted to this 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 slow drip, our own slow drip of of information, of like getting it out there, of trying to sort of stay up to date or making ourselves more important or whatever. When you step away from that, as I have now for twenty-two days, yeah. um, there is a lot of freedom to think. Yeah. And that is freedom that I did not have twenty-two days yeah. ago. You know, when you're sitting there constantly trying to think about what's the next photo I'm going to create? Well, you're not actually creating a photo for Instagram when you are constantly thinking and reading an article and thinking, Oh, I've got to be the first to get on Twitter to comment on this. And actually thinking about what you're reading, you're not actually doing the deep work of creating, of thinking, of being. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's not to say that there aren't times to comment quickly, you know? Uh, But I'm not going to really pull any punches here. Like, I think the speed at which we create and comment uh, for purposes, frankly, of ego is is almost, it almost desacralizes our creative nature.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. 100% it does. I mean, not only is it just ridiculous, like, who are we to to be the smartest one in the room and who are we to think we are, but what's the point? What is what is the point of us being so loud with one another? You know, yes. when when you have, when you're in the position you are right now, you know, two thirds of the way in or three fourths of the way in, you see the ridiculousness of it so much more than when you're in the thick of it. When Twitter feels so important, you know, <laughs> or Instagram or anything that's on the internet just feels so relevant to daily life. When you take a step back, you kind of think, actually, if it, if this is the bulk of life, then gosh, that doesn't go very deep. You know, it it stays pretty surface level. So I'm curious, Seth, um, what would you think your life would be like, hypothetically, if you were to take what you've learned this past month and like replicate it for a year? Like what would happen to you as a human being, as a writer, as a father, If you were to take a year off from social media, do you think there would be a net benefit? Do you think you would stand to lose something important?
0: I mean, I, I, you know, there, there are things that I would lose. I mean, there's no doubt about it. Um, So, again, as someone who writes, um, you know, uh, I haven't really talked about this much on the show, but Amber and I are under contract for a book. It'll release sometime next year. Um, So, if I were to take a year off, uh, there are things I would, Lose. I don't think the publisher would be very happy with me to just say, "I, you know, here I go, and I'm never going to talk about it or tweet about it or Instagram about this book or whatever." Um, And so, there there are some agreements that I've made that that by way of you know how modern retail works, like I have agreed to be on social media platforms. So certainly, I would sacrifice some sales. I would sacrifice some relationships. Uh, with the publisher, which I don't want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so there'd be some pretty big things that I, I did sacrifice. Now that said, if I could take a year off, if I could say, okay, I'm going to schedule this out for a year from you know, now in September of 2022, I'm going to take a year off. Um, I do think that there could be some incredible benefits. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think one of the, the primary benefits is that what I've, Find myself doing now is that I'm creating for the sake of creating, not yeah. creating for the sake of getting someone to clap for me. Right. Uh, and that feels so much cleaner. I don't know another way to describe it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so thinking about a whole year of, you know, hey, if you want to get a hold of me, uh, it's going to be via email. If you yeah. want me to write something for you, contact me on email. If I'm going to pitch you, I'm going to do it via email. Like I'm not going to do social media, I'm not going to use it to promote the stuff. I think stepping away from that game uh, would would probably uh, help me reevaluate my relationship with the media and help me reevaluate re-eval- uh, my relationship with myself. Yeah. Because when I'm constantly on social media, uh, I find that my voice begins to sound eerily familiar, like all of the other people who are there and agree with me. And man, that's just not what I want. I just right. don't want that. Um, And particularly in faith spaces, because I'm not a church leader. I was actually talking about this with my spiritual director yesterday. And um, we were talking about some other things, but she said, you know, how does this make you feel about the spaces in which you write and the spaces in which you, you know, you occupy digitally? And I said, I just don't want them anymore. Like, mm-hmm. I don't want to be the thought leader. I don't want to be the spiritual guru. I'd rather create things that have deep value for the people who read me and connect with me. But I'm just so tired of, you know, the the thought leading, influencing um, that really just goes nowhere.
1: Well, and it's funny that you brought up the Christian space because this is what I think is fascinating to me and I feel like maybe we've talked about this on the podcast before, I don't remember, it seems to be more prevalent among the Christian space, not only the idea of cultivating thought leaders, I know there's some exceptions, but also from the publishers that seem to really push the need for an author to have a strong social media presence. I mean, if you think of your favorite secular writers, especially fiction, how many of them are on social media? Now I know there are some, and there are some great ones. So I'm not trying to relate this correlation causation fallacy here, but you know, yours and my some of our favorite thinkers. You know, Anthony Doerr, he is yeah, not right. on social media, and yet yeah. he can freaking win the Pulitzer Prize. So right. it, well, you know,
0: Cal, Cal Newport, Cal Newport, Cal Newport. That, so he's different, completely different vein of writing. Not exactly. a novelist a thought leader. And and if anybody tells you what you're supposed to do as a thought leader, especially in business, particularly in business, uh, what are you supposed to do? Particularly a guy like Cal Newport, who's, I think he's in mathematics and computing. Yes, he is. Um, he's supposed to be yeah. on the internet. He's supposed right. to be on Twitter. Um, and he's not.
1: Well, and the thing is, he's got a fantastic podcast, right? He's got a newsletter. I subscribe to both of them. I keep up with his thoughts and thinking and he's not on Twitter to share them. That's and, right. and so, you know, you and I, we both have newsletters. We have this podcast. There are ways we can still connect with readers without social media. I would argue that sometimes we forget, like we conflate social media with the internet and we forget that there is a big difference. In fact, it used to I used to find it funny and now I find it a little concerning um, when people used to equate their phone or the internet with Instagram. Like, did you see what so-and-so is up to lately? And they weren't even naming Instagram, but they were automatically assuming I am continually scrolling Instagram. And so therefore I would know that. Person's latest, you know, dinner they had last night or something, and it's a slippery slope, you know, where we think that social media is the only way to do this, whatever this is, and it's not, you know, it's it, 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 it. I think where it gets challenging is convincing the publishers, you know, the ones that maybe perhaps don't hold the keys quite as much as we think they do, but to some degree, they still do hold some keys that it's it's not as necessary as maybe it once was, or maybe people have been led to believe.
0: Yeah. Yeah. As people who are going to be continuing to write mm-hmm. um, people and and not just us, like the people who are already doing it and doing it super well, the Cal Newports of the world, the Anthony Doors of the world, as people are going to continue to be in these spaces, I think it's up to us to create the proof points to say, listen, yeah, we don't have to be everywhere all the time it's not good for us we can't be fragmented and still be creating things that are are good and true and beautiful like we can't continue to do this and 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 one of the things that i find is like i can't continue to do it and keep my ego in check mm-hmm. and and if there's one enemy of good writing it's ego self-awareness <laughs> and ego i mean it kills good writing yeah um and so i think what we have to do is keep creating Proof points, and that 's why, um, mm-hmm. to anyone who 's out there listening, like it is important that you support the newsletters of okay. your favorite writers, and this is not just a plug for us; this is a plug for everyone you know who 's out there writing and trying to interact on social media in a thoughtful way, if at mm-hmm. all, um, like support their podcasts, support their newsletters if you have a newsletter or if you have a podcast. Um, you know, let us know. We'd love yeah. to to hear about it. We'd love to catch up with your work because I think yeah. it's going to take a group of people committing to a different way um so that the publishers will look and say, "Oh yeah, there is a proof point." Like Seth and Tish aren't massive, you know, Pulitzer prize winning authors. Um but here's a proof point. They can actually move their work without having to play uh, the ego game on social media. I think that's wicked important. And I think it's super important if we're going to set an example for, uh, the kids, our kids, um, and the younger writers coming up behind us.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, part two of our conversation is probably going to be very parental related, parenting related, because that's the conversation here at our home. But, uh, for me anyway, right now, our household is really thinking about, um, what this means for our kids and the next generation. And so I think that's so important. I think, you know, and speaking of newsletter, I mentioned in mine this past week, this idea that comes from uh, the TechWise family, which is a phenomenal book, but he talks about one of the reasons things like our phones are a net negative is because of the idea that they promote easy everywhere. They provide
0: mm-hmm instant Mm
1: -hmm. gratification, instant access to where we no longer have to try hard for things. And we therefore settle, we settle for not as good. And so what I mentioned in my newsletter was I was racking my brain about why I am struggling to finish a writing project. It's this project I've had for years, something I care deeply about is really important to me. And yet I'm not making the traction on it that I would like. And why Mm. is that? And so, um, you know, In the cliche of all cliches, the epiphany came to me in the shower a few nights ago. And it hit me that I think in order for me to finally make traction and finish the dadgum thing... I need to cultivate the habit of not needing immediate feedback or yeah. instant gratification. Like yeah. it, this easy everywhere concept has trained my brain to need dopamine hits all day long. Mm-hmm. And these long projects, the ones that stand the test of time, they don't see their reward for a long time until after they're completed. Mm-hmm. And so I have to relearn what it means to find satisfaction in the the – act of doing the work, like the day's work in front of me. And that's it without the applause or somebody saying, Oh, you're so wise. Let me retweet that, you know? Um, and it's been accidental. I'm not the type to seek out applause. In fact, it kind of freaks me out, but yet the, the algorithms have trained me to feel like I need it and I have to retrain my brain. And so I've been doing a lot of work on the front end to retrain my brain by way of, um, shaping, reshaping, rearranging my environment mm. and in hopes that it will affect me and serve as a model to my kids because that's the thing that I've really been thinking about. So I took off most apps off my phone. I only have a few now. I grayscaled it. I even changed you there's a little hack you can do where you can change the icon for the app to be really boring. It's like the what what I chose to do is just like a white background with a black letter, like F for Hmm. Fitbit, H for Hallow. Like that's all I've done. And it's weirdly less tempting to tap on Fitbit. I have no idea why it's, I mean, because we humans are ridiculous, but things like that has helped me. And then the other thing, and this is probably what I'll talk about next time is we've created a new home for our devices and our in our house where all devices have to live all the time. So if you need to text, you walk over to that home and you text and then you put it back down. And this is where we're getting a lot of pushback right now from the teens in our family. Like they are not happy with this plan. And so right now we're (laughs) in the it gets worse before it gets better phase. But I'm hoping in the long run it'll be a good thing. But it's things like this that I'm having to train myself to do because I'm ridiculous, not because I'm good. you know. So yeah, I'm curious, yeah. since we we like to kind of make sure we hit home the beautiful of things, that, that to me is slowly adding more beauty to my life by way of helping me concentrate better and not need that dopamine hit quite as much. So I'm curious if there's anything you have found that you're going to carry with you next month when maybe your fast isn't over, but you still want to take some good stuff with you.
0: Yeah, I haven't really thought that through yet, although I've started to take some notes on what it looks like to return. Um, so one of the things that Newport suggests in this book is, is if 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 you do have a social media platform that advances one of your values, then use it as it advances your values. And so, for instance, I know that I have to use Twitter to advance the value right now of selling books, right, to some degree, whenever that happens. And so... Um, for me, instead of using that, and I'll probably screw this up. If you follow me, you'll know this. I'll screw it up. It's fine. I admit it. Um, but, but the idea of using it as a place to like, sort of go on some political campaign or to rail against some new evil in the world. Like, I just don't think I'm in for that anymore. It doesn't advance one of my values, which is actually having long, hard and nuanced conversations about tough ideas around a table. So, um, so for me, one of the things that I've written down is like, I want to begin using Twitter as a business tool, mm-hmm. which that will mean some connecting with others. And I mean, there's still a personal part of that, but it'll also mean that I'm using it in certain hours and not others. Sure. Um, Instagram for me, uh, we've talked about this a hundred times is, is more and more about beauty. And so that never really was an addictive draw to me anyway. I'm actually Mm. finding myself missing it because it, Mm. it actually promotes to me the value of beautiful photography that I can't otherwise touch and find in my everyday world. But I will go through and start blocking people uh, and muting people again um, uh, when I get back on the internet, because again, I mean, even right before the fast started, I started noticing, Oh yeah, we're doing that thing where we use Instagram as, Where we get in our stories and talk about how uh, Joe Biden is a lizard or Donald (laughs) Trump is a troll or whatever the thing is for the day. And yeah, so I think one of the things that I'm going to do is, uh, you know, just say, like, listen, if that's kind of your shtick, cool, but like, you're probably not for me. Mm -hmm. And so I'm going to be really intentional about making sure that whatever I'm doing advances values. As far as like the parameters, man, I, I haven't really, I love the idea of sort of curating space designing space, um, so that it's not conducive to constant cell phone use. Uh, you know, we're having that issue right now too, where I've have have one who is showing some signs of extreme addiction to, um, uh, air force one hashtags on Instagram. So there's that, (laughs) I mean, it could be worse, but still. Um, so we're going to talk through like maybe how to make sure that we have the family time. That's not, impeded yeah. by by phones and that's been my fault in the past mm-hmm. but i haven't really set out those those parameters yet i i suspect i'll do that more when we sort of when i enter back into the world of using my my phone more
1: Well, and since you already brought up the idea of supporting the writers and creators that you like, I will go ahead and make a plug for the idea that you brought up about your values, how you want to better use your values for, or sorry, how you better want to use social media that aligns with your values. It begs the question, you know, or maybe it doesn't beg the question, it assumes that you do know your values. And so for me, I have recently revisited my rule of life, which we've talked about on the show before, Mm -hmm. but I've, I'm in the process of updating my workshop, the, the thing that I have for people, the little four part process to creating a rule of life. And so I've updated mine and it's really given me new life as a reminder of what it is I care about in my work, um, the things that matter to me and really and truly how that means I'm saying no to almost everything. So I can say yes to the very few things that further that. And so I think knowing what matters to you makes using your phone, using the internet, social media, all that um, so much more effective. And I think that's perhaps what you're getting at, the idea of knowing what you care about in the first place.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That is exactly what I'm getting at. And I Mm -hmm. think it's, it's, for me, it's really important. It's, it's really important that we know ourselves and knowing ourselves requires that we know our values. And, and I think, you know, as a creator, the best work period, hands down comes from deep knowing, deep Mm -hmm. knowing of ourselves. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that that matters if you're talking about uh, fiction, nonfiction, poetry, poetry, Um, creating a post on Instagram. I think the best, most creative work comes from a deep knowing of yourself and advancing the values that you inherently believe in, in the most beautiful way possible. Uh, and the quick quips, uh, of social media typically don't allow that. So I think, I think you're right. I think that, that this deep knowledge of yourself and your values is, is critical, um, whether you do it through a rule of life or whether you do it through some other way, it's, it's critical to, um, to really mm-hmm. creating stuff that lasts.
1: Yeah, that's right. And I think the listeners, the takeaway, even if you're not a writer, you probably do have some sort of thing in your life that you want more of, you know, some, yeah, some form of beauty in your life, be it gardening, be it time with your neighbors, whatever it is. And so if it's not literally a thing that you want to plug via the internet. It's some something in your life. And perhaps now's a good time to evaluate whether your use of your devices um, adds value or takes away value from that thing that's beautiful in your life and you wish you had more time for and more more of, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. right. That's right. All right.
1: So speaking of beauty, Seth, as we like to end our conversations, what is something you are reading, writing, or listening to that is adding more beauty?
0: Well, I keep a book in my office by mm-hmm. the interior designer, Axel Vervoot. Uh, I just sent you a link so that you could I look at it. it while we talk about it. <laughs> um, he has uh. this book called Wabi Inspirations, and it is <laughs> so beautiful. But his his entire aesthetic sort of revolves around stone and wood and minimalism, and trees, and clay, but, you know, taking broken things and putting them back together, but not in that sort of, you know, uh, way that's so popular right now with the gold leaf paint, um, right? In the Japanese, in the Japanese style,
1: mm-hmm. but
0: in much more rusticated ways. And hmm. I keep it because it is a reminder to me that the simplest things are often the most beautiful. Hmm. And I love this book. And so Hmm. if uh, you're looking for a good design book or if you're a photographer or if you just like beautiful things, um, it is definitely one of those books that you got to grab. It's called uh, Wabi Inspirations. Um, Hmm. Beautiful book. Beautiful book. What's Wabi? Um, Well, there's a whole I don't want to ruin it for the there's a whole there's a whole uh, description uh, in the front of the book. So and I think you can also find it. I mean, I know you can find it on the internet. So go cool. do a little research. Let your fingers do the research.
1: Nice, nice. All right.
0: Tish, what is one thing that you are reading, watching, listening to whatever that is <laughs> making your life more good, true, beautiful?
1: Well, I think we've talked we might have actually talked about this book, but I know we've talked about Andrew Peterson. Have you read his book Adorning the Dark?
0: I have not. It-
1: okay, I think you would like it. It came out a few years ago, and I've been re-reading it the past few days as I've been working on a writing project that um, I'm wrapping up. And it really is the idea of making things. Like It's his thoughts on what it means to make, the mystery of making, and how that dovetails with community and the need for not doing it alone and for working in concert with others. And, you know, as someone who writes and uh plays music he knows kind of what he's talking about and so i really appreciate the work yes, he he's does. done with rabbit room and and the other ventures And so I thought, you know, he's probably one I could listen to. And so far, I really am appreciative of it. I mean, I say so far. I haven't finished it, even though I've had it a while. But when I flip through it every time, I think, gosh, I want to read more of this. And I am not sure it's necessarily a sequel, but he has got another book very similar to it that's coming out in about a month. And it's called The God of the Garden. Thoughts on creation, culture, and the kingdom. He is a massive gardener. He has an a beautiful garden he instagrams which i appreciate and he he loves talking about what he's learning about rootedness and seeds and bearing fruit and all the you know insert the gardening metaphors but i i think he just also appreciates the work you know involved of of getting your hands yeah. in the dirt and so those of us who love gardening i'm thinking of your wife um i think it's a book that's going to really tap into our our hearts as well, along with the making. So I'm excited about it. So I'll put the link to both of those. I I mean, obviously I haven't read the next one because it's not out yet, but Adorning the Dark and The God of the Garden by Andrew Peterson.
0: That's awesome. Okay.
1: Yeah. All right. Well, I know that we're going to keep talking about this topic of, I guess you could say digital minimalism, but really it's, it's deeper than that. It's more about living a beautiful life, living a more beautiful life. And what does that look like in light of the fact that phones aren't going anywhere? How do we do that? So we'll keep this conversation going, but it's time to wrap this particular one up. You can find this episode as well as all episodes at adrinkwithafriend.com. If you like the show and want us to keep doing what we're doing, please help keep it going by picking up the next round of drinks. Uh, you can do that at a drink with a friend.com, where you can find the link to do that. And thanks so much again for your partnership. Uh, you can find me and how to connect with me mostly via my newsletter, because I'm really and truly very rarely on social media anymore at tishoxenrider.com. Seth, where can people find you?
0: They can find me at com, And uh, while you're there, check out my Substack, because I have actually been releasing a serial novel on Substack that you can't find anywhere else.
1: You have. It's been fun. All right. Music for the show is by Kevin McLeod. Editing is by Kyle Oxenreiter. I'm Tish Oxenreiter with Seth Haynes, and we will be back here again with you soon. Thanks for listening.